0: State of the Commonwealth speeches tend to look back at what's gone well during the previous year and preview coming attractions. Governor Moore Healey's speech on Wednesday was no exception. She touted tax cuts that she said would benefit everyone in the state and teased coming challenges dealing with housing, childcare, literacy, and climate change. She also announced what seemed to be pretty bold plans for transportation. Promising to increase funding for local roads and bridges to record levels, double support for MBT operations, tackle deferred maintenance, establish a reduced fare for low income T riders, and appoint a task force to start charting a course for transportation financing in what she called the clean energy era. Details are expected to come in her upcoming budget filing. I'm Bruce Moll from Commonwealth Beacon, and I'm joined by Jim Aloisi, the former Secretary of Transportation who serves on the Board of Transit Matters and teaches at MIT, and by Brian Kane, the Executive Director of the MBTA Advisory Board, which represents the communities served by the T. Together, we're going to try to tease out what these transportation tidbits mean. Let's take them one at a time. First, doubling support for MBTA operations. Typically, the state provides, I think, about $187 million in budget funding to the T each year, although last year, the T got a bit more from the surtax money on the extra tax on income over a million dollars. Have I got that about right, guys, or do you think she's talking about something else? Brian, what's your take on that?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, My first... Thought was that they were going to double the amount of sales tax money that T gets, which is over a billion dollars, um, which obviously was um, led me to believe that we might be solving all of the T's problems in one fell swoop. Uh, but I just don't see how an extra billion is uh, is available or possible at this time. So, yeah, the 187 million uh, was what they got last year from the Commonwealth um, yesterday the Mass Department of Transportation Board transferred $200 million in um, millionaires tax to the T. So maybe that's what the doubling refers to. Hmm.
0: Jim, you have any perspective on that?
2: My only perspective is, um, I think it's important to understand what the operating budget shortfall is going to look like, because this is a good step in the right direction. But there's no way to really know whether it's enough unless we know what the T's current projected shortfall is, both the timeline of that shortfall, when they think it's gonna hit, because it will hit, and and whether an additional 190 million or so is enough. Um, it might be enough, but it might it might not be. And then the, the second question is, are we just trying to avoid a shortfall or are we also trying to add net new revenue to the operating budget? in a way that would help the T continue to hire and pay good salaries to top professionals that we very much need in order to do the kind of revitalization of the system that everyone wants and expects. So a really good message, but one that needs some uh, additional, I think, uh, clarification from the T and the governor's office in terms of the
0: specifics. So the second one was just to, fairly vague reference to tackle deferred maintenance. Now, this comes on the heels of a T disclosure that getting back to a state of good repair is going to cost more than $20 billion. How do you read that language, Jim? What's your take on that? Does that... Again, um,
2: the right thing to say, the devil will be in the details. Tackling deferred maintenance could mean anything from, I'm going to give you more capital dollars to spend, but that's not enough. I mean, you... As Brian knows, you need people to do deferred maintenance and people you pay from the operating budget. So if part of this is to increase the operating budget to bring in more people to triage the state of good repair work, that's going to require operating and capital dollars both. I think, again, it remains to be seen. The message is right. The objective is right. The means of executing it, we don't know yet. Uh, from what the governor had to say and probably won't know until she releases the budget right so message is good details to come and then we can sort of uh, assess how in fact they're executing this
1: Ryan you you want to add any add anything on that well absolutely and and jim is right and and I like him I I applaud the governor for um for for saying the right thing um, and, you know I I I've heard governors say things like this before um, I heard Deval Patrick say the era of kicking the can down the road at the MBTA is over about 11 years ago. Uh, and I heard the governor last night say we're not going to kick the can down the road. So we're now down the road. And um, at least we are from 2013. And I, I just want to see what happens. Um, but I think the governor has has set up an ambitious governor. Healy has set up an ambitious Agenda here for the T, um, talking about doing all of the capital revitalization that's needed. I mean, let's not forget though that the the T is programmed about nine billion dollars over the next five years to spend on its capital program. Uh, a lot of that is vehicles, but a lot of that is also the deferred maintenance. So they're they're not really looking at a capital deficiency right now. Uh, and not to get too wonky, they they really need money in the operating side of the budget, and which, as Jim said, that pays for the people to actually do the work every day. And so it matters that, that the T gets more money, but it also matters what kind of money the T gets. If they just continue to get capital dollars to sort of put into tunnels and vehicles, et cetera, that will result in a better system. But then we run the risk of not having enough people to operate it, which would defeat the purpose. So. Wait and see, um, but I am cautiously optimistic.
0: So the next one is is more of a, an intriguing political uh, issue, I think. The governor said she was going to implement a special lower fare for low-income riders on the T this year. And that's no secret that she wanted to do that. She put in her budget $5 million to get this process moving. And I think the MBTA brass wanna go in this direction as well, uh, although they've been sort of moving very slowly in that direction. But at um a board meeting, I think it was last month, Mayor Wu's appointee to the board, Mary Skelton Roberts, sort of raised some questions about whether you know she might push for a uh, she wanted a fair analysis of whether a low-income fare is the best approach or No fares should be the approach, because the mayor has been quite outspoken in the past about eliminating fares and always a little vague about how far it should go. But but she's been supportive of that effort. And so this could this could throw a wrench in those works if Wu's appointee decides to pursue that. What's your guys take on this one? Jim, why don't you go first?
2: Well, so let's talk about this issue. I think the governor, correct me if I'm wrong, also said that she would have enough money in the budget to make bus transit free for all of the regional transit authorities, which I think is a laudable thing. And we know that many of the RTAs have done this to great success. Notably, Neva up in the Merrimack Valley, I think, has been a leader in this. So that, that begs the question, if the RTA bus rider is getting a, a, a no-fare, zero-fare ride, Why should the T-Bus rider not also be treated the same way? I think there's a difference between free transit and free bus. And there's a difference between free bus and what we call free unlinked bus. Unlinked bus meaning you're not transferring to the subway, right? You're just taking the bus. I am personally a proponent of free unlinked bus trips, which is a relatively low-cost approach to, I think, improving the bus transit system on the T. It's not very costly. Livable streets has looked at this. The estimate is about 30 million a year. That's a resolvable number. But let's be clear about why I think that makes sense. I think it makes sense for a number of reasons. Number one, the T has yet to say, because I think Mary Scott Roberts asked this question, what's the cost of leasing, buying, and maintaining over a life cycle Fair collection equipment for the bus. My guess is that if you remove that cost from the equation, the actual net cost of making unlinked bus free is modest, if anything. So we need to have that data point. We don't have it yet. Number two, if you charge people even a low fare for a bus and you do all door boarding, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will have charges eventually of racial profiling when you do proof of payment, right? That comes with a unquantifiable societal cost. And it comes with potentially real monetizable costs that people begin to sue if they think they're being profiled. There are a lot of reasons why having unlinked bus trips free, I think, makes sense. For the rest of the system, I agree with the governor. I think we should have lower fares across the board. I think in the post-pandemic environment, any transit agency that thinks it can have pre-pandemic world of funding its operating budget with fair revenues to the tune of a 33 of the operating budget that's not happening anytime soon it may never happen again so we need to have reduced expectations we need to build in equity for our riders and we need to run the system more efficiently i think from a rider perspective and the last thing i'll say from a workforce perspective i don't think you want bus drivers having to also be social workers and monitoring stuff like this. I think we should move toward lower fares across the board and free bus that's unlinked bus trips. That's my view. How we get there, whether we get there remains to be seen.
1: Brian? Well, um, I, I think the governor—I I applaud the governor for her approach on this. So, putting the five million dollars in the budget last year to to do the study, to get as many data points as possible, and then using this budget to really move a policy is is the way that government gets things done. And uh, she's clearly trying to get this done. Uh, you know, I, I don't want this to all sound like a trip down memory lane, but I, I remember when I was working at the T. A decade ago, talking to cabinet secretaries about this with uh, one of the general managers I worked for. And again, nothing happened. Uh, And that's with Republican and Democratic administration. So she is trying to move the needle on this. And there is a window of opportunity. A lot of the credit for that goes to Mayor Wu, who has really been running with this. Um, But it's good to see. Uh, Whether or not or or how it works, um, there's a lot to be seen. As as Jim noted, we need additional information. I agree with him and and speaking to my members, especially those communities sort of at the ends of commuter rail lines, uh, you are looking sometimes at a very expensive trip. And given the cost of housing in the inner core, we are seeing more and more essential workers and all workers uh, folks that that have to commute, folks that don't have the luxury necessarily of working from home, having to move out uh, further and further from the the inner core and taking commuter rail uh, to get in, and uh, those can be very expensive trips. Um, the further you get from from the city uh, core, the more expensive. So I I think lowering those fares for uh, for everyone, especially our low income folks that uh, that we have determined to be essential. Uh, makes a lot of sense, and I think the governor is going about it the right way.
0: Ryan, do you think the mayor may push for free buses, free fares in some fashion, and and sort of blow up the low fare option in the process?
1: Well, I think Mary Skelton Roberts will certainly continue to ask the questions. Um, they're good questions to ask. Um, there's different approaches to this. I don't necessarily know that all of the benefits that can accrue from free fares that are touted are are always realized. Uh, in the Boston study, for instance, um, more people took the the free buses, but it turns out most of those people just transferred from other T modes or were going to walk or ride their bike. We didn't get a lot of transfers from single occupancy vehicles, which I think is a societal goal we should be aiming for. So. There are lots of benefits to free fares. There's also a few um, detriments, mostly on the money side., um, but I think certainly the low income approach makes a lot of sense. Uh, if folks are going to transfer to the subway, then we really need to look at lowering their fare on the subway. Um, and it, it's not necessarily just a, a bus thing. but do i I think um, you know, i I don't think this board is very excited for free fares across. The whole system. Um, And so I I just don't know how much influence um, Boston's representative can have at this time.
2: I do think it's, uh, Bruce, if I could add, I think from the governor's perspective, it's a question that needs answered, which is, what is the policy and societal justification of saying that we're giving someone who lives in Lawrence the opportunity to ride the bus for free, but we're going to deprive someone who lives in Chelsea of the same opportunity? That's really what this is saying. Right. We're going to say if you live in Worcester, you can ride the bus for free, but you can't ride the bus for free if you live in East Boston. That makes no sense from a societal perspective, from a policy perspective. And I think if you're going to say every RTA bus rider is riding free, which I think is a great, laudable and correct policy. I I just don't understand the rationale for saying if you're on an unlinked bus trip, you're just using the bus, you're not transferring. And you're using the T system, whether that's in Revere or East Boston, Chelsea, or or Roxbury or Dorchester that that you pay. Just don't see the logic to it other than we're once again telling T riders, we're going to treat you differently and not as well as we're treating your counterpart riders in places like Haverhill or Lawrence or or Worcester.
0: Now, that was a long speech, winding all in different directions throughout the night, it seemed like. But I didn't hear the words no fares in all the RTAs. I heard- I, I thought
2: uh, I read that somewhere. I, I could be wrong on this. I, if I'm wrong, I apologize I mean, I for think, it, but I'm sure- I think I, she I talked
0: about so. affordable options and you know whatever, but I don't have any beef with what you're saying. It's just, I don't remember. Word free usually sticks bling, bling, bling in my head. So uh, I I didn't remember that. Uh, but let's go on to the, the last point she made, which is sort of the big cosmic question coming up with a new method of transportation financing in what she called the clean energy era. Now, this is, you know, uh, Brian, this is what you're talking about. You know, you've heard this before, and there's been studies that have been thrown on the shelf about this many times. But she's saying she's not going to kick this can down the road. Now, it's pretty clear why this is needed, because As we get into more and more electric vehicles, there's going to be less and less gas tax revenue coming in. So the need for revenue is going to remain, but the revenue is going to sort of slip away. If you could, if you two could talk a little bit uh, about, I mean, Jim, I know you've written about this recently. What are some of the best options to replace the gas tax? But also just sort of give, what are the odds that she's going to succeed in this in any Relatively time frame that's relevant.
2: Well, I think she has the time. She has the time to do it because I don't think this transition to electric is. It's not racing. It's inevitable. It's happening. But she's got time, and I applaud her. I think that she's absolutely done the right thing to begin having this conversation now. You don't want to have it when it's too late. So she's absolutely done the right thing. I think that the question. You know, I, I wrote about this. I think a week ago in Commonwealth. We did a report recently uh, my group at MIT on this topic, and we didn't make specific recommendations as much as we looked at and try to put together a framework for decision makers to use as a toolkit. If you think about it, there are two ways to assess driving if you're going to move away from the gas tax. So you can charge someone for their ownership of a vehicle, or you can charge them for their use. Many states right now are charging for the ownership. If someone owns an electric vehicle, they charge them a an annual fee, several hundred dollars, right? You could do a combination of that. You could charge an annual fee and then you could do something else based on use. I personally think that, and there are a variety of ways to charge for use, but I think the most predictable, likely potent way to do that will be some form of road user charging, right? Which people would normally call tolling. That could be anything from congestion pricing to cordon pricing, to conventional tolls, to vehicle miles traveled pricing. And I think that what the governor and the group that she's going to put together will look at is what are those options? And what's the best way to do that in the context of transitioning the state away from the gas tax to a new stable, predictable uh, approach to raising revenue? And so I give her a lot of credit for doing it. and. It's not something we need to do tomorrow, but it's something we need to start thinking about tomorrow. And that's exactly what she said.
1: Brian, what, what's your take? Well, similarly, I, I applaud the administration for for trying to get ahead of this. But I also think that um, it's critical that if we are going to have, make it a little bit harder to drive in and around the region, we have to also then make it easier to move around via public transportation. And that's why I I, I really do think that the, the approach that's currently un- being undertaken is the right one, trying to get the T back to a state of good repair that, in theory, will allow, you know, before COVID, we had a record year in ridership, uh, over almost 700,000 people. Um, if we can get back to those numbers on a system that is safe, reliable, predictable, and runs in the background like a Swiss clock, and make it competitive or even more conducive than driving then a lot of the questions around this, uh, about the the challenges of implementing or even the fairness of implementing uh, congestion charges or or other road charges kind of kind of go away or at least fade a little bit. So um, we got to get the T and his colleagues, its uh, little cousins, of the RTAs as I like to call them, back to a state of good repair and back working so that we can move around the region. Because the last thing we want to do is stop moving around this region, I mean, we already have the second worst congestion uh, in, in the world, according to many, many people. It's already hard enough to move. So let's make it easier. And I think the uh, the administration is trying by by taking kind of a, a fix the T first approach.
0: So one last thing on this, the politics of it. Um, I have kicking around in my head that Charlie Baker over and over again, when he was presented with golden opportunities to experiment with Various types of pricing for use of roadways just said, no, I'm not interested. Even if the money was free from the federal government, you know, to try VMT or something like that, no way, he didn't want to touch it. Is this another big shift by going with a Democrat? Uh, is that a big shift that's taking place just because of that? Jim?
2: Well, I mean, it's a big shift in a governor who understands reality and is not afraid to embrace reality and that's what leadership's all about i mean I, I i was very disappointed in governor baker's approach to this which was pretty much the electoral ostrich approach you know put your head in the sand and hope it goes away well we know it's not going away all of the federal and state climate goals in the transportation sector for better or for worse focus heavily on the reduction and the elimination of tailpipe carbon emissions. Well, you can't have tailpipe carbon emissions with internal combustion engine vehicles. So this is inevitable. The governor recognizes that real world inevitability. And again, I applaud her for for doing this. I mean, it's sad that in Massachusetts, it amounts to a profiling courage for a governor to tell people the truth and to embrace reality. And that's all she's done, right? So give her credit for that. And by starting this conversation early and having the long lead time that I think we do have, what she's gonna do is, I think, raise the confidence of the public because the public is not gonna feel like no one told them about this. They're not gonna feel that something just happened out of the blue. And that's a good thing.
0: But at the same time, and Brian, maybe you can tackle this, Baker probably rightly knows that fooling around with how people drive and the cost of doing that is a political third rail in in a lot of ways. I mean, we just talked years ago about, you know, allowing the gas tax to rise with inflation. It got shot down by voters. What are the dangers politically of doing this, Brian?
1: Well, I think um, one area where Baker deserves credit is um, his administration did put the gantries up on on the Pike and um, yeah. at, on other toll roads and got rid of the toll booths, and that that has allowed the option of a lot more tolling and and roadway pricing uh, opportunities. Now, were there opportunities lost in the in those eight years? Absolutely, but you know, to your first question, Bruce, I think one of the other really important political changes that we've seen is that we now have a, a federal DOT that's also willing to let states try things. I mean, how ironic that a Republican party federally that claims to be all about local control won't let states experiment with with their transportation policies. But that's what we saw uh, for, for those four years under he who should not be named. Um, but now we have Mayor Pete who's letting states try things with with federal waivers. And I think that that's great. And I think we're going to have to find ways to begin trying to seek those if we're going to go down this road. I think to your second question, um, there is always political challenge in changing how we do things. I will just suggest, however, that I'm sure once upon a time, a lot of the state budget was fueled by the whale oil tax and the concept of of charging for What you're going to use to fuel your your tea was was incredibly frightening to everybody. Um, But we figured it out. And as technology changes and as our values change, we can change. Um, So, yes, I think the governor has the political courage to do this. It won't be easy. Bringing the legislature along won't be easy, but maybe we are going to finally get the right series of incentives together and and also start understanding that climate change is real and that we have to really start taking this stuff seriously, as Jim said, to stop tailpipe emissions. The only way to do that is with leadership. And right now, the administration is saying and doing all the right things. Let's just hope they follow through.
2: By the way, um, there's a strong political coalition to be built here. The highway lobby, the construction industries, depend on the gas tax for their livelihood. They're going to want a replacement. So they're going to be on board on this. The environmentalists that want to see the reduction of carbon emissions, they want the transfer of internal combustion to EV. They're going to be on board on this. So you're going to have a very interesting, I think, political coalition form around this topic because you can't replace the gas tax with nothing. If you want to do that, you will raise $900 million a year from the highway budget.
1: Good luck. Good luck, right? So, plus so all those all I, so those funds are bonded. They've, they've we've already borrowed the money yeah, against it.
2: Borrowed money. So, uh, I, I think that there's an interesting political coalition here that I'm sure the governor is aware of that she can be able to pull together people who don't normally come together in the common cause. Will I think for this issue remains to be seen.
0: Well, a very interesting discussion, and we'll probably learn more this coming week. So, I want to thank Jim Aloisi and Brian Kane for joining me. And to all our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.